11-year MLS pro Quincy Marroquois here, and you're now listening to The Perfect Soccer Podcast, where your host goes one-on-one to get to know your favorite professional soccer players, both on and off the pitch. Because how better to learn what it takes to become a pro soccer player other than directly from pro soccer players? Today's episode is brought to you by PerfectSoccerSkills.com, the number one and only platform you'll ever need to connect with and learn from pro soccer players. Learn more and enter to win weekly soccer prizes, goals, balls, jerseys, player meet and greets, and more by heading over to PerfectSoccerSkills.com PSTM to enter to win for free today. With that said, please enjoy today's episode. What's up, everybody? I'm back for another episode of the Perfect Soccer Podcast. Our special guest today is Ross LeBeau. Ross, how's it going? Things are going well. You know, it's a a tricky time right now in society, but, you know, you make the most of it. You adapt to kind of your new norm, and, you know, you're lucky enough to get to go on cool uh, little podcasts like this one. Yeah, for sure. How are you dealing with the coronavirus here in Chicago, right? Yeah, we're in Chicago. Um, You know, we're, we're taking all the necessary measures that our governor and also the mayor of Chicago has told people to do. And we take it serious because we understand the magnitude of this thing, right? It it spreads so easily and and it can exponentially grow. So you have to do your part. Got to wash your hands, social distancing. I've just decided to just stay in the house. You know what I mean? Like pretty much And Quincy, I have talked about this. If you have this phone, you can virtually never have to leave your house. And that's what I'm trying to do right now and, and keep my, my loved ones safe especially some of the older people mm-hmm. that i love those are the people who it's been affecting at higher rates yeah definitely i mean I, yeah on a positive note too i think it's good too because now it's like we're really using all the technology we have yeah exactly you gotta use this stuff like i know it's probably you know a double-edged sword but we're fortunate enough that we can still do you know business deals we're mm-hmm. fortunate enough we can get groceries we can go on podcasts we can watch movies we can be entertained i know a lot of people are a little stir crazy right now but like you said this is a good time to, to really learn some stuff shoot like quincy has been saying on the perfect soccer page and his page mental strength league this is a time where you can really hunker down and find something that you're passionate about and, and really get that necessary time that you might not have had if you know you're at the office yeah definitely and uh, going back in time could you give me like your first memory of either like playing soccer or like picking up a soccer ball yeah, first memory. I can remember playing AYSO. I remember I was actually too young to play initially. And so they said if my mom became a coach, then I'd be good to play. So I remember that, her getting like her F license or something like that. And <laughs> you can imagine what that had to be in, you know, early 90s. Her like not really knowing much about soccer, but saying like, hey, like my kids want to do this. So you know, I'll make that sacrifice. So I remember my mom being my first coach and, you know, playing at Jackson Park on the south side of Chicago. That's awesome. And then, yeah, tell me about uh, your youth career. Yeah, first I started, you know, my mom worked downtown uh, at the bank. Uh, and then I guess at the time, you know, she would talk to her coworkers and they were saying like, hey, like this is a time like kids are playing soccer now. And my mom, you know, just being oblivious to it was like, I don't know really much about soccer you know, but I'll learn, right? She becomes mm-hmm. a coach. I started playing some AYSO. And then 
I find some fortune in the game, I guess you would say. I, I was all right, and uh, then there came a point where I needed to move to a different club. So, yeah, I guess my mom tells me, I told her that, you know, I want to play somewhere a little more competitively. That's when she reached out to the IYSA, which is the Illinois Youth Soccer Association, called them up, said, hey, we live on the south side. What's the closest competitive soccer club? She was told there's the Orland Park Sharks or the Chicago Magic. My mom chose the Magic. Uh, and then from there, it kind of took off. So I was seven when I started playing club soccer. And, you know, just through you know, being in, the, in a good environment, playing with the best players, it really just catapulted my career. You know, I was winning some state cup championships. We won the regional championship, national finalist. So my team was really good. We actually had two other guys go pro. We were a legit team, legit club. Mike Makovich, who's, you know, kind of been around the game for a long time, has been assistant. Most recently with Columbus, um, with the Fire, did Toronto, has really built a pedigree of uh, of what he expected from a club, and it, it kind of just translated through all the teams. So that's pretty much, you know, my club story was just a lot of soccer every day, really getting better at our craft, and it, it, it paid in the long run. Gotcha. So... I mean, I don't know if this is correct or not, but on your Wikipedia page, it says uh, Newcastle United. Did you play for them on youth? youth? <laughs> that's a funny, that's a crazy story. So we were at the Disney Showcase. I was either 16 or 17. And um, I had already been committed to UVA, but I was wanting to, you know, just still, still see what else was out there. My mom being my biggest fan and, and uh, a go-getter just started talking to some people she was talking to a coach on the french national team it was like a youth national team french guy my mom started talking to him blah blah he gave her some contact info to a guy who was a kind of like a kind of like a scout mm-hmm. um, for newcastle and my mom you know just being who she is um just kind of finessed it she was like you know maybe told a little white lie or two saying that my dad was going to get relocated to England so that a work permit would not be <laughs> an issue, um, which wasn't the case. We weren't doing that, but um, they let us come out for, we were out there probably like a week. Um, it was me, my little brother. We actually played and then my dad and my other brother came out there and watched and we trained and it was kind of the first taste I got to see what it, what it's like over there, just the difference in like the training and, and the mentality and the expectation that is, is there every day. And I thrived off it. I loved it. I loved every part of it being over there. And then when my trial was over, they actually had offered me a, a spot in their academy. But like I said, there was no work permits. It would have been a big hassle to try to get over there. So I decided to uh, go to college. So it was a, uh, you know, bittersweet. Uh, you kind of think, you know, what could have been, but, you know, uh, I'm happy with my choice. You know, I got to go to a great school, got a good education. So that, yeah, that's that. But yeah, it was a crazy story that I got over to Newcastle and, and got to train with them uh, right before college. Gotcha. So did you get to play for them or no? No, never okay. played. Just so it was, uh, yeah, just academy, uh, like a trial, I guess you would say. Gotcha. But it was cool. Um, that was like, I think it was right around the time Michael Owen was playing there. So, the first team was training, so that was cool to see. It was crazy, too. A few years later, um, I'm watching the TV, and one of the guys that I was on trial with made the first team. So I was like, oh, wow, that's amazing. Yeah. So, that's crazy. Yeah. And then what about, yeah. yeah, what was your recruiting process like out of high school? 
Yeah, so definitely different now. I know yeah. it's a different trajectory. So mine was played for a good club, which helped. Hundreds of thousands of kids are trying to play college soccer. Um, what can I do to differentiate myself from the pack? Uh, so that was, once again, like I said, like I said, excuse me, uh, my mom's a go-getter. She's never going to you know, shy away from anything. She's always going to you know, go for it. The worst thing you can hear is no. And that's what we did. So starting my freshman year, so I'm 13 years old, my mom, you know, email addresses got real addresses, right? Because email was still like, oh, we use it, but, you know, people still want hard, hard copies of mail. And we just uh, reached out. Every coach, I probably casted a huge net, probably sent out 100-plus emails, 100-plus, you know, CVs with the understanding of they weren't going to get back to me because of NCAA violations. But my mom's reasoning behind that was, even though they've sent you this generic letter saying like, hey, we can't talk to you, if they're savvy, right, they'll keep your information on file just in case, you know, a year, two years from now, they see me at a tournament, they say, oh, that kid actually reached out to me years ago, right? So we were just on the approach of being proactive. And then when I was going to get in front of coaches, that was my time to shine. So I went to Disney Showcase. Played pretty well. Went to a blue chip tournament, which ended up getting rained out. And I didn't think I played that well. I only got to play like a half. But surprisingly enough, like after that, and then I got to go to the, the Adidas ESP camp, which is like the top, I don't know what it was, 150 freshmen, sophomores, and juniors mm-hmm. kind of play. So we had that. And so there was just, you know, abundance of coaches everywhere. And then come, what was it, July 1st of your senior year, I know rules have changed. That's when, you know, I started getting a lot of calls. You know, a lot of coaches calling, you know, asking me about my recruiting process, asking me, you know, what schools I was looking at, if they could get me an official visit, if I could come unofficially and visit. So that's pretty much my college, you know, recruiting process. And then, you know, I, I whittled it down to a few schools, went on official visits to Santa Clara, Wake Forest, and UVA. Unofficially went to Northwestern Notre Dame. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I just kind of, you know, just after the rich tradition that UVA has of soccer um, and a good public institution, um, it was a no brainer for me as to like, where I wanted to go to school. Gotcha. Was there anywhere that like you wanted to go like before all this started? Uh, no, because Paul, I just didn't know soccer could take me this far. Yeah. You know, I played in high school. I was, I was decent at it. I enjoyed playing it, but I just didn't know anything about college soccer. Mm-hmm. I didn't know, you know, anything like that. But, yeah, I, not really any school in particular. Um, a lot of people, you know, being a Midwest kid, people love, you know, the Notre Dames, the Madisons, the Northwesterns. But I wanted to challenge myself in the best soccer conference. So you got to go to the ACC, and that's what I did. Yeah, and then what what was it like playing at UVA? And um, I know you won the national championship, uh, what was it, your senior year, right? Yep, great experience for me. Definitely a learning curve. I remember getting down there my first year, summertime, and uh, being able to train earlier, being able to uh, – I took some classes as well, so that was good to kind of get acclimated to, to grounds – Still a struggle, you know, you, you go from, you know, one of the best players on your team, and now it's, 
Uh, you're down in the pecking order. You're also now maybe for the first time playing against kids two, three, four years older than you. Um, understanding what expectations are for yourself, for the program. Um, so that was a tough year for me, but uh, learned a lot and, and was happy to to continue on. And, and I was super juiced about the next year. You know, we had some people graduate. It's my second year, so I was like, all right, this is my year to kind of break in. Second year comes around, and I'm not starting. I'm playing a little bit. And I think it was, I want to say it's like the first seven games. And then one of our, uh, one of my teammates goes down with an injury. Um, I step in, I play. And then from there, I never look back. That was the point where I was like, all right, I'm in here. I'm a starter now. What can I do to keep myself in there? You know, I can, I can make sure I work hard, be a good teammate, um, and be a leader. And so that's why I was fortunate enough my last two years to be the captain um, of the team. So it was just a, a story of just grit, determination, you know, kind of being an underdog. I wasn't highly touted, right? I think you know, we had some big-name recruits there, and it was me, you know, wanting to prove myself and, and make sure that when it was all said and done, I put my best foot forward. And I can, I can truly say that, and I can say that our, our hard work did pay off. Like you said, Paul, we did win the national championship that last year, so that was just um, a nice cherry on the top uh, to a great four years. Yeah, what did it mean to you to be named captain? It means a lot. Um, our coaches always did a vote for one, and then, excuse me, a vote for one amongst the players, and then the coaches pick one. You know, when our coaches bring, brought me in, they let me know, you know, like your peers and also us as coaches picked you. So that was cool to hear. It meant a lot because it, it teaches you responsibility. It teaches you accountability. It teaches you to to listen. It teaches you to lead by example. It teaches you to be someone there for your teammates. Um, it's very interesting when you look back. We just had our 10-year reunion for winning the national championship. And um, it's nice to always hear the same echoes of what you did then and what you do now in terms of the person you were. Because you never know. You want to believe you're one way, but <laughs> you never know until maybe you get that feedback from others. But it was always the same things, and it was nice to hear that. Nice to see my teammates after so much time. Can't believe 10 years has already passed from that game because I can remember it like it's yesterday. Um, I can remember the final four, or excuse me, the semifinal game. We played Wake Forest. Ike was on that team. And then the national championship game, we played, you know, Akron, which was a, a great squad. Nagby was on the team. Till Bunbury. Is there, what's the young, what, one of the Valentine brothers? Is it Zarek or is it Julian? Zarek is the younger one. They had a, an unbelievable team. I think all those guys played in MLS on that yeah. starting lineup. So that was also Scott Caldwell, another one that was on that team. Ben Zemanski. So, yeah, it was a great game. It's a cool experience. And, yeah, it meant a lot to me. It, it keeps us connected to the program. And you are fortunate enough to leave your mark on the program. Yeah, I looked up the game. It went to double overtime. You guys were on the penalty, <laughs> penalty kick. So yeah. how, how crazy oh, yeah. was that game? Like, Oh, it was nuts. It, you know, we're, we're going throughout our season. We're not really paying too much attention, but still hearing buzz of this Akron team kind of coming out of nowhere and, and being a legit program. You know, we're doing all right. We're, we're handling our business. I want to say it was in October we played at Virginia Tech. And that was kind of the game. <laughs> I didn't actually play in it. I was sitting out for yellow card accumulation. But that was kind of the game in October where we kind of took off. And we were kind of untouchable. Uh, we won the ACC tournament. 
So that's a big one. We knock off Wake. You knock off Maryland. Then you come back around, see those teams again in the NCAA tournament, beat them. And now it's the matchup, one versus two. Akron's number one. We're number two. Akron hasn't lost a game all season. Here we are. I think people, you know, thinking, even though we're the two, that Akron's going to handle us pretty easily. But we had grit. Talented team, too. But I think we were nasty on the field. We, we didn't give up much. Our goalie was unbelievable. My center backs, I mean, the team was brilliant on the day. And unfortunately, uh, we had to post early in the game. That could have changed the game, but it goes to PKs, and you're hoping that your goalie comes up big. We almost choked, as you saw, as we, all we had to do is make one. We missed our next two. Their fish shooter has to make it to send it into over until extra kicks, and he skies it over, <laughs> and we're the champs. But definitely nerve-wracking. I was on the field. I, was, I had double cramps. And my calves, I'm sitting there by myself, very nervous because it was going to be my last game, whether we win or lose. And it's always nice to go on top. And not too many people can say their last game of their college career. They won a national championship. And it was like a walk-off too, like like the yeah. last possible. Yeah. Yes. Like that's crazy. Yes. yes. We still feel it today. Like when we were back, it just rings in your head. You just remember all the games. Um, our Elite Eight game was mm-hmm. one in particular that was awesome we're at home once again we're playing maryland another good side we just have you know just battles with them day in and day out and to beat them three nothing at home i think it was probably in front of like six thousand people it was a cool way to be sent off to the final four and we had just won the acc tournament down in Cary, north carolina which was pretty much you know like a home away from home uh and to you know come around beat a talented wake forest team that we beat earlier in the season like I said, we beat them in the ACC tournament, so I mean, we were just on fire. Like no one could touch us. <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, Akron was undefeated. That's crazy. Yeah, and it's funny too because usually ties go down as excuse me, PK shootouts usually go down as ties. Yeah, but because it's the last game, <laughs> it went down as a loss. So yeah. their season, they won all those games and had one loss. Even though if they would have lost in the semifinal by PKs, it would have been considered a draw. Yeah, very interesting rule. So, <laughs> yeah, that's that's nuts. I mean, that's crazy yeah. too. Just to be like undefeated, then you lose the last game, and I mean, that's crazy right. for you guys to be right. the team. So that's awesome. Right, 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 right. Yeah, and then uh, coming out of there, what was the process like going into the MLS draft? Yeah, so you know we're we're on cloud nine, a fun little celebration on the way back. That what was nice was we're only four hours away, so. You know, our coach is like, buy whatever you want. We used to love Outback. I don't know why, but we loved Outback. So we we could order all the blooming onions and all the desserts because we just won. So that was a fun little trip. We stopped right after the game, got some food. You get back to UVA at a reasonable hour, which is nice. You know, bars are open. People are cheering. You know, you feel like a, a superstar for a little bit. It was, um, it was funny too, Paul, because uh, earlier in the broadcast – Kyle Martino, who's also a UVA alum, mm-hmm. and maybe this was because he's a UVA alum, he picked us to lose in the <laughs> final four. So it's funny too because he came and watched our practice, and I still remember this. Our coach, Coach Galnovich, was like, "Here's Kyle Martino. He picked us not to win," and he was like, "Ah." But then it's funny if you watch the end of the telecast. He's like, "I'm hopping in my car. I'm heading back to Charlottesville." And he did. <laughs> so we saw him at the bars. He was buying his drinks. Just a fun time to celebrate. But uh, it's a funny story uh, in itself. Gotcha. And then uh, you got drafted um, in the second round. 
uh, 23 yeah. overall. What, what was that experience yeah. like? Yeah. Yeah, so after we were back, you know, from school, I sit down and talk to my coaches. Um, you know, they're proud of me. They let me know a little bit about how it works. So I mean, like, these are kind of the agents that you can pick, so on and so forth. Here's the combine. Do your best to get ready for it, which was a struggle. Right, Paul? This is at the time when, you know, I have no money. I'm still a college kid, and I live in Chicago. So I don't have virtually anywhere to train, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm trying to find places to train. I'm trying to work out. You know, I did play longer than a lot of players, which was a a luxury. But still, if if the last game was, I don't know, it was like December 13th, combine was not till like mid-January or so. Mm -hmm. So a little tough. I guess they would say maybe my stock dropped a little bit because I didn't have the best combine. But like you said, still went 23rd overall, which was cool. Went to uh, the Colorado Rapids. And I couldn't have, you know, picked a better team and a scenario for myself to start my pro career. Uh, just the guys that I got to learn from, being in Colorado, that experience, just very, very grateful for the three years that I was there. Yeah, and since you brought it up, how'd you go about, like, picking an agent? Yeah, didn't really know much. I would guess I picked the agent based on kind of, you know, listening to my coaches then talking to a few agents when I had a chance and going from there, I took kind of the approach of I wanted a big agent at the time, mm-hmm. just thinking that they would have the most connections, so on and so forth. But, you know, some people do that with that kind of understanding. Some people say, hey, maybe I should go with a littler guy because then he can really invest in me more and really help me with this. So that's how I picked one. Maybe now 31-year-old Ross would probably go about things differently and maybe wouldn't even have an agent just seeing how contracts are done now and how negotiations can be pretty easy. I'm also speaking of Quincy when he had negotiated his contract in San Jose. It seems like if you know what you're doing, if you can see other people's contracts, if you kind of get a gauge of your worth and then also just ask because at the end of the day, you're going to be your best advocate. You know, no one can, you know, hide behind a, an agent no one can really just kind of mess with your future. It's you, it's you negotiating and really putting uh, your best foot forward. Yeah. And then um, what was your pro debut like for the Rapids? Yeah. So my pro debut, I traveled, which was cool, right? There was only 18 players that travel. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if many people know that, but only 18 travel. So every week, you know, you're, you're making goals for yourself and you're trying to, you know, get on the travel squad. And then maybe the next goal is like get some minutes. And then the next goal is to get a start. And it's just kind of this progression that you're hoping for as a player and hoping you get your opportunity. So yeah, I got in my first game. It was cool. My brother was actually in California. We played Chivas. (laughs) So that shows you how long ago my debut was, but we played Chivas. I got in super nervous. Felt like um, I played 90 minutes game. Just because I was just, you know, you're running around, you're so excited, you're you're happy that, you know, you, you made your debut. And I don't know, if, did we win? I want to say we won. If not, we at least tied. I know we didn't lose. I can't even remember now. But it was just a fun experience, you know. My teammates signed a jersey for me. Uh, and that was cool. And, uh, yeah, getting to play with some pretty good players, was, uh, which was also fun and, and happy I got to say I did that. Yeah, it's dope. And, uh, yeah, it was, yeah, 2010 was when... You guys won the MLS Cup too, right? Yeah, yeah, it was it was a 
So you went back to just, you went to back to back on back to back. Yeah, I think that might be a question in uh, Jeopardy one day, Paul. <laughs> I think there's only one other person. I think Jordan Morris did it too. I'm pretty sure. Enjoy learning what it takes to become a better player from professional soccer players. Well, how would you like to work with professional players one on one? Now you can with Be Pro by Perfect Soccer. Head over to perfectsoccerskills.com slash B-E-P-R-O to apply to work with our network of pro players today. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Yeah, I think, he wanted, I think he wanted Stanford, and then I think he turned around and wanted Seattle. So, you know, being in company of Jordan Morris isn't, isn't too shabby, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> yeah so, uh, yeah, that was a great year. Like I said, it was a, a team that probably wasn't expected to do much, but a team that was just very close. Um, Quincy has said this before. I have been in two other locker rooms, I guess, professionally. And it was a tight-knit group. It was a group that spent a lot of time with each other. I'm talking, we're at the training ground, practices at 10. We're done at, what, 12. We're staying around till 2, watching games, playing soccer, tennis, chatting. We'd even go and get barbecue at the spot next door. And sometimes we'd hit up a movie. We went fishing together. Quincy and our teammate Kosuke Kimura bought a boat. <laughs> yeah, we, you got to ask Quincy about that. He bought a boat, and we'd be waking up at, I had never fished before, but we'd be waking up at 5 a.m., going get into these places and just fishing and just some cool experience with guys that helped me, you know, shape the person who I am today and give me kind of a different, you know, outlook on things and give me definitely a different outlook on how the game is played. Mm-hmm. how some people see the game and how others see the game. Uh, yeah, just a, a top-notch group. I mean, Drew Moore, he's back in Colorado, just a consummate professional. Jeff Lorenowitz, another one playing in Atlanta, but these guys, you know, <laughs> these guys are still playing. Um, can't take away Brian Mullen, who's just a, a legend, you know, Houston legend, but to come back and play that guy, I really appreciate that. And then our, our captain, the guy we follow, Pablo Mastrani. Uh, another guy who you know plays in the world cup mm-hmm. he's you know he was telling me about like stories of him like maybe going to everton or like going to club america and just getting to be his roommate on the road once connor casey got hurt was so valuable to outlook on how i see life and and also growing as a player you talk about a leader out there on the field and it doesn't get better than him so i was definitely fortunate enough to play with some brilliant players yeah, did you get to go to the White House twice? Uh, yes. So the college one, I'm thinking, you know, we're going to get special treatment like, you know, when Duke wins. Yeah. But nah, it doesn't work like that with the little <laughs> sports call. So it was like a college day. Still cool, right? We played in New York, and I got a flight after the game down to Charlottesville. I took a bus up with the team. We had to visit, like, the Capitol and, mm-hmm. and some of that stuff before we got to go to the White House. So we're on the South Lawn. I get off the bus. I forget my book. And I'm like, dang, he's never going to sign my book. But then looking back to, I don't know if there would have been an opportunity to sign a book. Because think about it. There's thousands of kids on the South Lawn. Obama comes out. You know, he gives a great speech about, you know, athletes, your dedication, you know, your winning mentality, blah, blah, blah. And we get back on the bus, and I'm like, man, well, that was awesome. That's amazing. Don't know if I'll ever see him again. And then, you know, the next the next year, bam, he's back. And this time it's personal, right? It's like we're a pro team. Mm-hmm. It's personal. There's none of this other teams. I remember, you know, we got a tour of the White House, which is amazing. They're telling us, you know, 
just different things about uh, my house, and uh, that was pretty cool. Um, this time I brought my book because I'm like, all right, I'm not going to mess up again if the opportunity comes up. And so we're standing back there. You know, he gets like this dun 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 kind of thing. <laughs> it's like the president of the United States. And uh, he walks in and he just says, you know, good afternoon. And then he just kind of goes through his uh, his speech. Uh, and it's just amazing. You, I've never seen someone so poised and elegant and everyone just, you know, grinning ear from ear. And he comes around and he just shakes everyone's hand so firmly. And right when he gets to me, he shakes my hand. I'm saying, I say, uh, President Obama, can you sign my book? And then he's, as he's signing it, you know, man, I'm telling him, you know, I'm from the south side of Chicago. He goes, where'd you grow up? I said, you know, 85th and Stony Island. And then he, like, kind of cracked the joke that, like, along the lines of, I didn't know they played soccer. Like, Who got you into soccer? Like, they don't play soccer on there. I'm like, yeah, you're right. Uh, <laughs> so it was cool to get my, you know, my one minute of fame. And it was funny after that, we gave a clinic on the South Lawn to a group of uh, kids and uh, my teammates were like in awe. They're like, I couldn't believe you actually like did that. I was like, Shh, uh, yeah. I, I had to, I, was like, I ain't going to get another chance at this. So I just, I just went for it. But uh, all in all, just a great experience for us. And um, truly a keepsake. I have it locked up, but yeah, I have his book audacity of hope and it's signed. And it was funny too, Paul, because he like knew the specific page, right? Cause he's probably signed a book thousands of times yeah. but he like turned to the right page and the signature is so perfect and you're like ah you've done this before <laughs> yeah oh, that's crazy uh, yeah yeah and then take me through the rest of your career and then what made you ultimately retire in uh what was it 2013 yeah, yeah so i get waived from the rapids that mm-hmm. third year and i'm like dang that sucks but yeah you know, just because I felt like I was getting some mixed communication, some mixed things were being said to me, and it just didn't sit well with me. But, you know, you don't have time. You got to kind of keep keep it moving, keep kind of pushing on. So after that, I got waived, and I got to go out to Salt Lake for a little bit. Jason Christ was still there. So I got to go out there. I um, was out there for maybe like a month, and then I got to play. And after a month initially they weren't going to let me play in a game like a reserve match but then uh jeff kassar kind of convinced that you know like let him play like he's he's done well it was actually against the colorado rapids so i was going back to colorado so i still had my place there but i played the reserve match and um it didn't work out there so then you're like okay you know your agent's you know trying to find you some things i then get out to seattle they were saying yeah you can come you just gotta pay your way I was like, okay, cool. So I, I paid for the ticket. I luckily had uh, a teammate that I told you about earlier who was on Seattle. So yeah. he let me stay at his spot, which was nice. So I got to train out there. I was killing it. I was doing well. And there was the first uh, kind of leg of preseason. And I'm pretty confident that I'm going to make it. And they said, yeah, you're not going to make it to the next leg. And I was like, what? So I said, okay, that's fine. You know, I'm going to keep it moving. So after that, I didn't have any really leads, uh, which was kind of frustrating because I, I felt like I was so good enough to play in the league. I had so much to offer, especially after you know getting some Champions League games. Mm-hmm. My first, was that my first year or second year? Our second year, and uh, getting a few more starts. You know, I got a playoff start in Kansas City, so I was playing some games. I was getting a little more confidence, but in the event, nothing kind of transpired. 
And then one of my teammates who also had gotten traded to Seattle after we won, he was back in Rochester. He had started there. And he said, hey, you know, come have some fun, you know, get that feeling back and just, you know, see where this takes you. So I went out to Rochester for a year and I played there and it was just a tough transition. Mm-hmm. The USL is in such a better spot now. And at the time, the USL wasn't, it's hard to go back. It's hard to go down. I think if you yeah. start there and then you go up, you know, I think it's the same thing probably like in Major League Baseball, right? Like if you start in the majors, if you go down, you're probably like, man, yeah. this is like a lot, a lot different when it comes to travel, per diem, quality of play, right? So there's just a lot of things. And I was like, man, this is tough. I'm still playing with an injury, mind you, at this time as well and not really knowing it. And that's when I had to shut it down initially to get the surgery. So I had hip surgery, very intensive surgery, but I'm saying if I'm going to do all this work, I'm going to try it one more time. Quincy's out in Chicago at this point. We go into the locker room, Frank Gallup's in there. And he remembers me from my days of playing in Colorado. He said, when I get healthy, you know, you get a tryout. I was like, Oh snap. Like, how, you know, like that's yeah. very fortunate, right? Like that's a, another once in a lifetime type thing. And from there, I had my trout and it was amazing. I was killing it. I was like, there's no way this isn't going to happen. Everything felt like it was going well. At the same time, Paul, my assistant coach at UVA has now taken over the program at St. Louis university. He comes to the team comes and plays a preseason game. I give a little chat. He hits me up saying, Hey, like, You've changed. You're, you know, you're more mature. You're like a adult now. I'd love to have you on our staff. And I was like, whoa, you know, that's a that's a big time program, Paul. Being a coach there can change your trajectory, right? Like you could be on the fast track of having your own program by the time you, I would probably by now, right? I'd be yeah. a college head coach somewhere. But in any event, that was on the table too. I had asked the fire staff to be like, hey, you know. If you're going to sign me, you know, please just let me know because I have this other gig. Like, I'm, I'm not going to, you know, yeah. be sad if you don't sign me. They were saying, yeah, like, it, it looks good to go. Like, the deal is going to happen. And then out of nowhere, it doesn't happen, you know, mm-hmm. uh, which was a bummer. Uh, I was pretty upset about that. Um, and then after that happened, I, uh, you know, tried to hurry up and be like, hey, Coach McGinty is the position still open at St. Louis? And he's like, no, I, uh, I filled it. So I went from having two jobs to having none. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but you know, I can laugh on it. You know, sometimes these things happen in weird ways. And, uh, because this kind of happened, um, I ultimately meet my wife because of not being signed. So that was definitely a blessing to me. And, and now looking back at it, I can laugh at it in things because my life's in a great spot. I love mm-hmm. what I'm doing. I love, uh, my beautiful wife and my two beautiful little boys. Yeah, it's great. I mean, maybe that, yeah. that's crazy. That's I guess uh, stuff happens for a reason. Yeah, right, right, right. Like that was like the one time I went, oh wow, if yeah. I didn't do this and do that, like that literally would have never happened. So yes, definitely, Paul. And uh, yeah, I know you you coach a little now, right? You do some high school coaching. Right? Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I'm a high school coach. It's my second year. I coach at a school called the Whitney Young High School, one of the best schools in uh, the state of Illinois. Uh, famous alumni are Michelle Obama went there. Do you remember Quentin Richardson, basketball player? Yeah. Yeah, he went there. Jalil Okafor went there. Yep. Uh, and now there's a kid, senior, his name's DJ Stewart. He uh, is committed to go to Duke. So 
definitely a rich athletic program, mm-hmm. particularly in in basketball. But we're doing all right. We got some talented players. I like the girls. They are motivated. They are smart. They're funny. Um, they're really you know, trying to be students of the game. So our season's supposed to be happening as we speak, Paul, but it is not. My coach hat wants me to play, but I have to take that hat off right now, Paul, and, and put the well-being of myself and others to the forefront. So the season's postponed right now. Fingers crossed, you know, maybe end of April, uh, beginning of May, coinciding with the other sports teams when they're going to come back. We can get this season in, especially for my seniors. I'd be gutted if they didn't get the opportunity to compete. Yeah, that's high school soccer? <laughs> yeah, so we play yeah, oh. our high school girls soccer is in the spring. Okay. I know other places it's, you know, sometimes it's in the winter, like in yeah. Florida. Yeah, uh, that's right. That's, that's, how, that's how I was confused a little. Yep. So, <laughs> yeah, it's definitely an interesting time because it's just kind of still cold in Chicago in the spring. Yeah. So you find only like the last few weeks you not putting on like a big coat to uh, go to training. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, definitely. And uh, yeah, how did you get involved with perfect soccer? Um, Yeah. So perfect soccer, you know, Quincy and I back in 2010, we would chat as people now know Quincy is always, you know, yearning for information. He's a go-getter. You know, some would call him abrasive. I say he's just someone who is passionate about uh, helping others achieve their goals. Mm -hmm. And at the time, not really seeing, you know, his end all be all and seeing like kind of the end game, but just talking to me about his soccer experience, his recruiting process. I'm talking about my recruiting process. And what we found was we both ended up on the same places in our careers, but you know, we took different routes. And so we need to share this with others. We need to share this information with others. And that's kind of when Quincy was like, Hey Ross, like write this book, right? You know, just what you did. And I'll kind of handle the rest. And, you know, after we, we wrote the first book, you know, we then, you know, we did the Skills Academy where Quincy and I were going out there and, and, and doing training drills. And then it became the blog post. And then it became, you know, the YouTube channel, then the Instagrams, and then all the different shows. And so it was just a, uh, a culmination of Quincy's vision mm-hmm. and kind of coupled with my love for the game. That's what Quincy always says. You know, I have that love for the game and he can sell it. So as long as I can, you know, push out content, as long as I can talk soccer, he will do the rest. So that's kind of virtually how we started things. And, you know, I think now more than before, it's getting, it's just improving. It's improving. Mm-hmm. At the time when we had started it, I was, you know, number one kind of uh, rule. I guess not rule. I guess the kind of concept of perfect soccer is, you know, self-accountability. You know, excuse me, self-honesty. I was, you know, wanted to be self-honest with myself you know, I just didn't do as much work when it first started off because I couldn't see the vision. I just kind of did it half-ass. Mm-hmm. And so, that was, you know, there's just good lessons to learn and continue to learn about, you know, where you are as a person, what you're trying to accomplish in the game and making sure that you're honest with yourself. Because if you're not honest and you're not growing, you'll never get to where you want to be. And so that was eye-opening. It's always good experiences. They're tough conversations that Quincy and I have had with Perfect Soccer and, and the work that I've done or not done <laughs> when it comes to putting the work but um definitely can always appreciate his honesty and, and appreciate him wanting the best for uh the people uh, he cares about and also the people that uh he employs yeah so going off that you ready for the five quincy questions 
Yeah, these are going to be great. <laughs> Quincy, thank you for this. <laughs> I have no idea what he's going to ask you, so this will be, uh, be fun. Uh, what do you think the most important quality or skill was that made you successful as a pro player? Um, my work rate. I thought no one was going to outwork me. Mm-hmm. I was always going to be exhausted when it was all said and done. I think in the games that I played, when I got starts, I never lasted past the like 65th minute. Because I, 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 at that point, I was like, I, I can't save myself. I don't know if I'll get another opportunity. Mm-hmm. So I need to go out here for as long as I can and just bust my ass. And that's what I did. So I think my hard work, you know, helped me out. And I thought, you know, as time went on, I got better technically. I got technically better. You know, I was improving, but I would say my hard work stood out. You know, I'm always at the top of fitness tests and, and things of that nature. What do you think the biggest mistake pro players are making? Um, I think the biggest mistake pro players make is not playing your game. What I mean by that is if a coach tells you to do something and it doesn't come off because you didn't feel comfortable doing that or that's not your game, he's going to blame you, right? You didn't do what I told you to do. You didn't do this, you didn't do that. But if you do what you want to do and you're successful in it, the coach is always going to think that that's what they told you to do, if that makes sense. So mm-hmm. it's like, yeah, you go out there, coaches tell you to do this, that, and you're just not doing it. At the end of the day, you're going to look back and say, man, I wish I would have done what I thought was best in that situation. Because then you can live with that. If you can live with the fact that, all right, this is what I thought was the best in that situation. And if I do that, you know, I feel like I'll be successful. And if it doesn't come off, at least you know at the end of the day you tried and it wasn't someone else telling you what to do. I'm not saying don't listen to your coaches, but as a pro, you have to be able to kind of differentiate when that's needed and when you need to uh, personally listen to your coach. And what advice would you give to a young player trying to make a pro league or trying to get like a Division One scholarship? Uh, my biggest advice would be um, you have to put in the time if you want this to come off, if, if you want to have a fighting chance, right? Mm-hmm. I think at times people are always like, hard work pays off. Yes, but there's a caveat behind the hard work, right? The hard work is great, but you can still not end up getting to your end goal. And that's okay. Because I always tell myself, I tell you know anyone who I'm talking with to, and I also tell my players this, at least at the end of the day, you know you gave it your best, right? And if we can get to that point, good. We can tweak some things, we can... We can get better, of course, but the hard work is for you, right? And the hard work will make you feel good in understanding that you're going to fail, you know, fail often, fail quickly, all those, you know, things. Uh, it's just going to propel you in other phases of your life. And, you know, you might not be a pro soccer player, but at least you gain some life lessons from those experiences that are going to carry you on through your life. Maybe you don't, you know, get that college scholarship, but you still are playing college soccer, mm-hmm. right? These are questions that you have to ask yourself. These are things that you have to really sit down with and really sit with to understand what's your why. Why are you doing the things that you do? What's something that most people think is true that you believe isn't? In soccer or life? <laughs> Whichever one you want to pick. Something. Oh, <laughs> and this one might be unpopular, but I'm going to say it. This like idea of people being like good sports. Yeah. Like, I don't know if that's a thing. And let me kind of paint the picture of what I mean. I always found it odd that 
the player of the winning team of a championship game feels it's necessary to go all the way to the other corner flag where there's you know a player on the other team who's crying, who's devastated that they lost, that they feel like they have to shake their hand. Yeah. Because that's like the sport. Like, if the rules were reversed, would you want someone to do that for you? And I, I, in my heart of hearts, I feel like it's no. So for me, it was always like, I like that we shake hands before the game. That's it. Even after the national championship game or the MLS Cup, like, we won. Like, do we have to go and shake hands and say good game? Like, <laughs> I don't know. I, I just don't. It's a, it's a weird thing that we do. And like, I don't. Some people like it. Some people like that's the sportsman thing to do. But it's like, but I won. Yeah. I don't. I think that's enough. Like everyone knows it's a good game, right, Paul? Like, yeah. it, it, it's a weird thing. That's probably the one thing that like I think people want to believe in, like that type of sportsmanship. Now, I do think you know you need to play within the rules of the game and things like that. And mm-hmm. way to cheer yourself, but like that thing always bothered me. Like, and I I still remember it. <laughs> I don't know how I remember this. U thirteen, we lost in the regional championship to Vardar. And yeah, I'm like crying over on the field <laughs> by myself. And someone wants to come over and say, good game, man. You're a good player. Like, okay, cool, man. <laughs> Just go leave, leave me alone. You won the region championship. You get the cool medal and the cool jacket. I don't. Okay. Yeah. So like, no, so that would be that. Yeah. Okay. That, I definitely feel you on that. I never really kind of thought about it like that, but I, I yeah, I think cause, uh, yeah, I guess I never really see people at the beginning of the game shake hands, but that's, definitely way better than at the end of the game <laughs> right right right, right. We, 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 yeah we did yeah and i know like nhl they have their thing like it's the biggest sign of respect like cool nhl you guys keep doing that after i lose the stanley cup man you gotta make me shake hand okay fine but in my head all right you got the trophy like let me just go skate off the rink you know yeah. to myself as you you know carry on the trophy so yeah. Yeah, that would be mine <laughs> All right, last one for Quincy questions. Uh, what is something yeah. you'd move forward with if you weren't scared of the consequences? Mm, something I'd move forward with if I wasn't afraid of the consequences. Damn, this one's <laughs> tough, Paul. Jeez, I don't. I definitely get to this part. I wonder what Ike said. Hey, <laughs> uh, probably starting another business. You know, like mm-hmm. putting up like all the money I had and truly having the belief in it working you know what i mean like yeah. i don't know if i had like a hundred thousand dollars saved be like yep i'm gonna start this business and just yeah. not you know caring about my financial stability and my wife and and, <laughs> and my kids and making sure that they had food on the table but yeah, yeah. that gotcha. would probably be it yeah like doing something like that i gotcha our last few ones these are some fun off the pitch questions you ready okay yeah oh so i gotta ask you then cubs or white Sox? Okay. Cubs for sure. Probably not a popular opinion. I was about to say, isn't Southside? South yeah. Yeah, 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 you know, you know. <laughs> yeah, so my father-in-law played baseball and football at University of Minnesota, which was kind of cool. And uh, he's just been a diehard baseball fan. Right before they got good again, he had been on the season ticket list, Paul, for mm-hmm. maybe 25 years. Yeah. <laughs> he got a call one day being like, hey, Mr. Lawson, like, uh, you can get Cubs season tickets. <laughs> Yeah. And he was like, "What?" And then he got the tickets, and then I, I found myself going to more Cubs games, becoming more of a fan. I like baseball, but like I was never like, "I'll sit through nine innings at a game" type fan. Mm-hmm. And now I find myself in the past five years, nine innings just in it 
So, yeah, definitely Cubs. And who's one player you would want to do a jersey exchange with? We'll go. We'll go one international and one MLS player. Okay, international, past or present doesn't matter. Yeah, just like whew. one international. I'd say love me some Kaka. All right. <laughs> so yeah, I do Kaka international, and then MLS. Oh my God, my teammates which were cool um, from the UVA. Of course, D- who are the DPS right now? I like any of them. <laughs> uh, I would say it'd be cool to get Nagby's jersey. All right. I got played against him. I think he's a good player. I mean, yeah, Nagby would be good. And then the last one, what do you like to do in your free time? So free time right now doesn't seem like a lot of free time, Paul. <laughs> As when my kids go down to nap, I usually nap with them. So when I'm not doing that, I like listening to podcasts. I do enjoy that. And uh, I'm getting back into reading. I was a big reader. And then I kind of, you know, got lazy and stopped reading, which is not good. But definitely like to read again and, uh, yeah, podcast. All right. Well, I appreciate you coming on. And uh, could you let the listeners know where they can follow you at? Yeah. So, um, yeah, you can follow me. I am on Instagram at Ross LeBeau. I'm also on Twitter at Russell Bow. Yeah, I think it was only two places. And then, yeah, that's about it. Quincy Marroquois here, and thanks again for listening. If you enjoyed today's episode, please be sure to share it with someone you feel will get some value from it. And if you could take a moment to leave a review of our podcast wherever you're listening and let us know who you'd like us to interview next, we'll get working on that right away. You can listen to this full episode and more at perfectsoccerskills.com slash radio. That's perfectsoccerskills.com slash R-A-D-I-O. You can also enter to win free weekly soccer prizes, goals, balls, jerseys, player meet and greets, and more by heading over to perfectsoccerskills.com slash P-S-T-M to enter to win for free today.